Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, episode 92 with Darren Flitcroft. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show. Not surprisingly, my name is Rich Roll, and I'm your host. And I'm super glad that you dropped by today. If you're new on a weekly basis and for free, always for free, I might add, I do my best to bring you guys the best, most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds in wellness, fitness, athleticism, creativity, diet, nutrition, art, entrepreneurship, personal growth, and spirituality, the people who are rocking the tools and the knowledge and the experience and the inspiration that you need and that I need to discover, uncover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. So let's see. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for all the comments from last week's show with the, con- the cowspiracy guys. That was uh, That's intense stuff, man. And uh, believe me, I realize and understand that uh, the message that these guys are putting out uh, pushes some buttons. It's not comfortable. And when you pull covers and start to see uh, how they pack the sausage, uh, pun not intended, pun intended maybe, or, you know, see how things actually are, how things actually work. um, Yeah, it can get intense. We don't always want to know that truth, right? But hey, man, this is what we got to do. The stakes are high. And we're at that critical moment in the evolution of the planet where we're either going to make the decisions that are going to save us, or we're going to blindly propel ourselves forward into scenarios that uh, are going to bury us and the planet. And that's not good. Personally, I'd like to see us avoid that. Uh, If for no other reason than my selfish interest in having a nice planet for my children when I'm long gone. Uh, You know, I'm a man of, I guess I would say tempered optimism. And I believe that if you present people with the truth, that together we can unite and do the right thing. And that's why it's important to me to have guys like Kip and Keegan on the show. And even if it does ruffle a feather or two, even if your worldview is different, it's cool. But I think that we can no longer really safely nap in the warm embrace of denial and expect that things are going to go well. We're past that point. And speaking of optimism, I just returned from Tucson, Arizona, where I was a speaker at uh, Mind Body Green's first summit. It was called Revitalize. It was at this really cool resort called Miraval out in the desert. And it was, a, it was a, about 150 thought leaders, wellness leaders that all got together uh, basically to hang out, really. Uh, about 40 or so of us presented talks. I was, in, I was included as one of those people. Uh, mindbodygreen.com live streamed all of the talks and the panels on their site as it was happening, which was pretty cool. Uh, and they're going to be editing all the talks and presenting them um, one by one on their site and sort of TED Talk kind of style over the next, I guess, like couple weeks. So I'll keep you posted on when my talk goes live. It's a 15-minute talk uh, based on my blog post about why you should stop hacking uh, your life and invest in the journey. And I'm happy with the talk and how it went and can't wait to share that with you. So I'll keep you posted on that. But 
it was really cool to uh, just rub elbows and, you know, spend quality time with so many fascinating and inspiring people and a lot of uh, alumni from the podcast. I got to lead and hike, lead a hike and a run uh, with Hillary Biscay, which was really cool. Hung out with Joel Kahn, uh, the vegan cardiologist, Joe Cross from Fat Sick and Nearly Dead, Dr. Frank Lipman, the functional medicine doctor who I had on the podcast last winter. Uh, I did a bunch of meditation classes with Charlie Knowles, who's been on the show. I did yoga with Tara Stiles, drank juice with Jimmy Rosenberg, who is the founder of Evolution Fresh. That's the cold-pressed juice that you can find at most Starbucks. And uh, got to have some pretty interesting conversations with... Uh, Dr. Mark Hyman about the future of medicine. You might know uh, Dr. Hyman as one of the uh, sort of star talking heads in the documentary Fed Up that's out right now. And it, it was really, really interesting. Um, many, many fascinating people. I hope to bring a bunch of them uh, to you guys via the podcast in coming months. And to top it off, we even had like a private concert from, it was like a little acoustic <laughs> private concert from Feist and Ed Drost of Grizzly Bear, which was really cool. We got to sit literally right next to them as they played by candlelight under a full moon uh, in this little outside Kiva kind of meditation amphitheater. Just a hundred of us, private concert. It was, it was amazing. And my main takeaway from this weekend experience is that there is incredible power in community. And despite differences in opinion and perspective, particularly on kind of quibbling details, by finding ways to work together, I think that that is uh, a powerful way to begin to shift perspectives and, and habits of the planet by collaboration, igniting positive change from within and without and, and outside the system, I guess, to change how we perceive wellness across all categories, diet, medicine, disease, prevent, disease prevention, alternative modalities of healing, the environment, our relationship with technology, and importantly, our relationship with ourselves, right? So, okay, today's show. Uh, every once in a while, I like to introduce you guys to people who, you know, they're not famous or they're not celebrities, but people that I personally find special and inspiring on some level. And, and uh, today's guy fits that bill. Darren Flitcroft joins us today. Uh, he's a very uh, enterprising young man. He's a dynamic, energetic, former college scholarship soccer player from UCLA turned young soccer agent, soccer agent on the rise. Jerry Maguire style. Uh, this is a guy who's immersed in the world of football, football in the European definition of the word. And I think that's apropos, given that we're in the midst of the World Cup, uh, to share this conversation with you guys today. So Darren basically spends his time scouring the country, looking for and scouting for emerging professional soccer talent. Uh, and so we get into a lot about his opinions on uh, what divines or makes the difference between somebody who's uh, a decent athlete and sort of being able to kind of see the potential for stardom uh, and, and, and what those qualities are and how he's able to identify those in the course and scope of, of what he does for his job. Um, I became friends with Darren a couple of years ago when he reached out to me. He was experimenting with uh, a plant-based diet and he was getting really into running and preparing for his, his first marathon and he was just eager to like learn as much as he could. 
And he's gone on this journey, this journey with plants and this journey with running and kind of discovering and unleashing uh, his inner, um, you know, athlete uh, beyond the world of soccer. And I think it's inspiring and it's interesting and it's informative, mainly because his story is, is really relatable to so many people out there and probably a lot of you who are listening uh, because he's just a guy looking for a way to feel better and perform better. And he's been able to do this and how he did it and how he keeps it up despite a, a super hectic work schedule and a travel schedule that has this guy on a plane all the time or kind of traipsing up and down the East Coast, visiting colleges, et cetera, um, is interesting. Uh, he, you know, he's able to maintain this lifestyle and this diet uh, in a way that probably would have left most people uh, back in the fast food drive through window. And so it's really interesting to, to hear from him uh, about how he does it. And anyway, any event, Darren's a great guy. He's got a strong message. He's got fascinating insights into sport and athleticism. Again, you know, like what distinguishes a good athletic prospect from a superstar. And he's just simply a guy with a bright future ahead of him. He's one of the good guys. He's one of the guys that you want to see win. And so it was a pleasure to sit down with him and to get to know him a little bit better and to share his story with you. So hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no cost, science based habit building program designed by my well being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well being, courtesy of a doable, evidence based 12 week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP 804. If you listen to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge. And nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker, who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com slash livingproof. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. 
I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. Actually, we've only like uh, been together in person like a couple times, maybe once or twice. So. Yeah, one or you twice. You passed off the uh, the soccer tickets at Plant Power Avenue. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Is that actually Midvale? Yeah, it's Midvale. Midvale and Westwood. So did I tell you that, that my first apartment in Los Angeles was on Midvale? No, you didn't. I think it was, it was literally like a block from where I met you that day. Really? When I first came to LA, yeah. That's trippy. I know. Well, I figured like I was moving from San Francisco and I thought, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm coming to LA, but... I want somewhere where I can like walk around and I don't, you know, I don't have to drive and I can be close to work. And yeah. it's like, Oh, Westwood, you know, it seemed cool. But like now after living in Los Angeles for as long as I have, I was like, why did I move to Westwood? Yeah. But you live there, <laughs> but you went to college there. I didn't go to college there. Maybe on some level I was trying to perpetuate some kind of college existence. Well, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> free dorm. Food. You still eat at the dorm. Exactly. How come it's still free for you? I got a hookup. I was nice to nice to one, one of the managers <laughs> there and yeah. gave him some galaxy tickets or, or shoes throughout my years there. So he still hooks it up when I'm in town. So it's on the DL. Well, now everybody yep. knows, man. Everyone knows. Your, your magnetic card is going to get... <laughs> I thought maybe you had some hacker who no. like recoded your card or something yeah, and let you no. in. Still have the card the, to get into sporting events and stuff. Oh, really? But keep that on the DL too. Oh yeah. Nobody's going to hear that. So how many years out of UCLA are you now? So I graduated June 2011. So three years almost. Uh huh. So three years. It's flown by. It seems like forever ago. Uh huh. Um, I was just visiting one of my friends, uh, teammates up in Seattle. He plays up there and we were just talking, you know, it seems like it's been ages ago, but really it's right. only been three years. Three years. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you're still living in Westwood and still eating in the dorm. So, <laughs> so I mean, no wonder. I, mean, I don't like want to leave. Still, I don't want to leave. I mean, do you go to like the frat parties? Like, are yeah. you still socializing with people that are in school? Yeah. I mean, some you of do. some of the people that are still there are still, uh, you know, I was there when they were there and some of the athletes, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, actually one of my good uh, girlfriends, she's staying around for another year to, to do gymnastics. So she's, uh, you know, she's doing the fifth year, sixth year, seventh year thing, kind of like me. Right. I got you. So yeah, you, 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 sh- you might as well be like taking some classes to yeah. like getting your master's in something <laughs> at night if you're going to be living and hanging around there. Yeah. So, uh, so, um, do you, uh, do you, you don't, you probably don't eat out that much, do you? Cause I just ate at native foods the other day when I was in Westwood. Uh, sometimes, and, uh, sometimes native foods. But you're fully, you're, you're fully 80, 10, 10 now. So you're probably just doing it all at your house. Yeah. For the most part, uh-huh. P- have people over cook out and, right. um, you know, real food daily sometimes, you know, if I need to you got guys coming into town visiting and stuff like that. So, right. so I try to be flexible. Whole foods, love whole foods. So, mm-hmm. 
Well, everything's in walking distance from where you are there. So exactly easy. So let's take it back a little bit. I mean, we both kind of grew up in the same general vicinity, right? You're from like Great Falls or Great Falls, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Where'd you go to high school? Langley. Langley. So right right, about a mile away from the CIA. So that was, that was cool. Mm -hmm. Saw the occasional, uh, you know, wrong turn into the CIA uh, entrance and you know, like guards total, descending on the total pat down. <laughs> you know, I, I never saw it, but, you know, some people talked that, you know, sometimes people took the wrong turn and they might have been illegal immigrants or something like that. And they got sent back. But it definitely uh, was like a like a serious, serious thing. If you turned in there, uh, it was the right right before the right into my high school. So right. it was, uh, you know, you got to be on your toes. So, so I'm sure like tons of, uh, tons of the kids you went to high school with their, their dad or their parents, some parent worked at CIA probably. Yeah. And my grandfather did. So, Uh I mean, that's why we're, I guess, still in the area. And, um, you know, most, most of my friends, their, their parents have something to do Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, Washington or the CIA or something like that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, is your dad like a secret op or something? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. He has has some crazy, you know, he has some stories. You're not exactly sure though. Yeah. No, he has some stories about his, about, uh, grandpa that, you know, he's told us a little bit, nothing, you know, too extreme, but, you know, had to dash out of the Philippines late at night, one night in Singapore and, uh, you know, my grandfather was pretty high up there during the Vietnam war. So, mm. uh, my dad has some pretty crazy stories. Wow. So that's intense. So what is your, what's your nationality? So I'm actually, I was adopted from Colombia. Oh, you were. Wow. Yeah. So, um, my parents, uh, through an orphanage foundation adopted me about, I don't know, two years, two, two months old. Right. And so I was out in uh, Bogota, Colombia, and they came down, and it was actually 1990, so the World Cup was going on down there. So my dad tells me stories about how we stayed for about a month and a half in Colombia, and they experienced their first you know, real World Cup down uh-huh. there. And, um, you were getting imprinted on I was getting imprinted age. at a young age to, to do what I do now. But uh, So yeah, and grew up in, in Virginia my entire life. Um, Great Falls is... You know, you were in Landon, you, right. know, you know the culture kind of, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's a bubble. So being that kid from, you know, the adopted kid from Columbia, definitely, uh, you know, it was different right. for sure. Very so. different. So your, gran- so your grandfather was a Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. and but your, was your, did your dad work in the government? No. So uh, my grandfather was a Marine, got recruited to the CIA, worked his way up the CIA. And, uh. And, and so that's what originally brought the family to the Langley area. Yeah, I, th- I think they, you know, my my mom's from there. My dad uh, was actually in boarding school a lot growing up, and and uh, ended up going to Princeton like my mm. my grandfather. And I think they just settled in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area because because that's where family was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but my dad actually started a construction business with my grandfather on the tail end of my grandfather's, you know, work tenure and, and just kind of stuck with it and it's made it into a pretty, pretty good business. Right, 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 right. When you, when I hear like Princeton and CIA, it reminds me of that, uh, completely underrated Matt Damon movie where he's the, at the early days of the CIA, like the foundational years of the CIA where they go in for the Bay of Pigs operation. He's going to be, do you, what's yeah. that movie called? Uh, it's going to bug me. I'll I only know the porn series. Uh, no, no, no. This is like for real. Like, yeah. uh, actually but he was in I that too. Robert De Niro directed this movie. 
it's it's quite exceptional you yeah know, but it's really like it's very it's like dead serious angelina jolie plays his wife and he's like super into being a secret cia dude and, oh, i need to check and, that anyway, out then we'll talk about that later but yeah. um but anyway it's funny because growing up in dc yeah like you know i lived in a middle class neighborhood growing up but like we had like everybody in my neighborhood you know work for the government like the director of the fbi lived literally right around the corner from us and you know in a modest what people don't realize is like these government salaries, like these guys aren't getting paid anything. They have power, but they're all living in like, you know, pretty like modest Mm -hmm. abodes or whatever. But anyway, um, and it was, it was, it was, I guess it was kind of, I mean, I was just a kid, but I guess it was supposed to be kind of not a secret, but you weren't supposed to really know like where people live. But, uh, every time it snowed, (laughs) like our street would get plowed right away. And, and not only did they do that, they would plow directly to the guy's house and plow his driveway just so they could make sure that like he could get out out and get to work, you know, because in DC, like they have, they kind of have enough snow removal stuff to deal with it. If you get a light snow, but if you get a lot of snow, it's just like, just forget it. You know, like everybody just stays home. Yeah. But, uh, but that's cool. So, so when does, um, when does soccer start to come into the equation when you're a kid? So, you know, my parents, my dad was a big time swimmer in college. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he swam at Princeton. He swam at Princeton. Mm. He, he didn't qualify for the Olympics. He's probably like my age. No, he's, <laughs> he's a lot older. <laughs> <Is he? laughs> Dad's 64. 64. Yeah. So, well, I'm like closer to his age than I am to your age. That's dude, true too. So, <laughs> but you know, for that, he never, he never put pressure on us to swim and stuff, but mm-hmm. he was pretty adamant about us, you know, trying everything, you know, staying open. And so grew up playing basketball, baseball, soccer, lacrosse events, big time over there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after a few incidents with baseball, he took me off the team. It's just a little it's too like, boring for me. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, I was actually a big time basketball fan, loved, uh, Allen Iverson growing up and, then I came to a realization that I wasn't going to be six foot. <laughs> and so right. I kind of, you know, honed in on soccer, but soccer kind of just happened. Um, I made a team that I didn't think I was going to make and that gave me confidence. And it just, did you play like, like in, I mean, I don't know what it was like when you were growing up, but when I was a kid in DC, I mean, it's, as it is in LA, I mean, it's a huge participation sport. Like every kid plays soccer, yep. but it's not in the context of the school. It's like yeah. a club, exactly. Call it? MSL or yeah. what it's called. No, exactly. You know, every kid was, was on a club team. You know, mm-hmm. you grew up playing on club team. You know, when you got to high school, you would play on the high school team, but your first, you know, your primary uh, team was club. So um, I played, you know, I played on a small club team cause I actually got cut from the A team growing right. up and, um, I was on this, uh, this lower team, uh, going into high school and ended up making, um, it's called the ODP regional team, which identifies like the 50 best players on uh-huh. the, from here to, to Maine. And, uh, that was cool. How old were you? So what was grade like, was that? That was eighth grade. Oh, in eighth grade. So it's like pretty early on. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, you're on a different level. But I didn't think like, I didn't think so. I got cut right. from this team like two years ago. I was playing, you know, on JV, if you will, of club. And it was cool because I made this, but you know, I had people hating on me for sure. Right. Um, like you didn't deserve it. Yeah, exactly. So um, I moved to a different team after that and, um, the next year came around and I did the same kind of thing. Uh, I made the regional team and 
I think I got more respect after that. Right. And, you know, two times, maybe it's not so lucky. So. Right. So you make that team and what does that, what does that mean? Like what, in terms of like where you're at with the game? So at that age, it's just, it's more about bragging rights, really. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously if you make that team, uh, you're on, you know, people's radar, college coaches radar. So it kind of puts a, you know, an X on your back when you're playing in your club games and stuff like that, because guys are like, Oh, this guy, you know, he's a good player. Right. He made the regional team, et cetera, et cetera. But does that region, did that regional team play together and like travel around and play other regions or so you, just a label? It's a label, really. I mean, you co- you get invited into regional camps later on in the year where that group of kids are from mm-hmm. that pool of kids. Um, and, you know, it, it helps identify players with their national team. Um, but I was never fortunate enough to make, you know, a camp mm-hmm. really for the national team. I was, um, you know, I got sick. I would be hurt. I never, I never really got a full shake. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like I said, it, it led to, to greater things for sure. Right. So, all right. So, you know, so what's going on ninth, 10th, like, is you're progressing, is your yeah. soccer continuing to progress? So, um, I switched teams. Our team traveled everywhere. Uh, Dallas cup is a big tournament. A lot of international teams come. Um, surf cup is out here in San Diego. It's mm-hmm. a big, uh, big tournament played down in the polo grounds out down in San Diego. Um, Disney Cup. So we were fortunate to travel around quite a bit and uh, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, and that led to... So you were on a club team that was like that good, that mm-hmm. you guys were cruising all over the country to play. Yeah, and it was, oh, wow. it was fun. It was exciting. Right. Um, a lot of weekends on the road, and you know they really became your family and you guys you're kicking it with. And um, you know I was able to get a lot more exposure for an East coast kid mm-hmm. because of that. And that led to the UCLA's, the Santa Barbara's of the world, the kind of, um, getting, no, you know, wind right. me. So the colleges are, you're on the radar, they're tracking you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. So that by the time you're, you're coming into your senior year, uh, it, you know, are you getting calls from coaches and going on the recruiting trips and how's that? Yeah. So it, it, uh, you know, it comes thick and fast for sure. Uh, it started happening, um, going into my junior year. So, um, we actually, uh, my friend, teammate, good friend of mine growing up in, in Great Falls, we were both pretty good and on, on, the you know, national watch list. Uh, we went to UCLA my junior fall met with the coaches, mm-hmm. you know, first time in Westwood and it kind of was, you know, eye opening, breathtaking all at the same time. And I mean, you'd been to California though for these games, but just never to Westwood, never to UCLA. Right. And, you know, they had us through Poly Pavilion. They took us into the, you know, athlete training center there and, um, you know, girls were around and, <laughs> yeah. you know, just it, the, the whole vibe was, you know, amazing. So did they have like a, like a special weekend setup where they bring a bunch of recruits out at the same time and they got it fully dialed in terms of like what your, your social agenda is going to be, or is it just, you came out on one weekend and this was early enough in the process where it's an unofficial visit. Oh, right. Yeah. That's that, different from right. Of exactly. Course, I understand. Uh-huh. So they were kind You're of not really supposed to be there. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. So they were trying to keep it low key while uh-huh. also saying we want you guys. Right. Um, so that was, so they can't, and they can't show you too much of a good time. Exactly. It gets, yeah. Yeah. So it gets a little hairy, but it, they, they did good enough for me. And, 
Um, I got time to choose uh, spring of my junior year, mm-hmm. and obviously my mom wanted me to stay on the East Coast. I had Wake Forest and UVA in the plans. I think UVA was just too much of like high school. A lot right. of my friends went there and stuff, so I wanted a new experience. Uh, the only other school that was kind of in line was Notre Dame, but when I went there, it was 34 degrees and like freezing rain. So, right. uh, you know, when it came down to pros and cons, I think my dad had the final say and he's like, when are you ever going to get a chance to go to California again? And you know, I, the choice was made. Yeah. The choice was made. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't, uh, you know, go against that. So, right. That's cool. So, but, but no Princeton for you. No, I What's mean, this? they probably don't have like, probably have a club soccer team. No, they that. have a soccer oh, team, but it's just, you have, you know, you have to have good grades right. to get in. They don't, really produce any money so are you you saying you didn't have good grades uh, i just wasn't (laughs) i actually had better grades in college than high school Uh i think that was just uh girlfriend issue and and just soccer distractions yeah just distractions but um yeah i wanted to go to princeton but it just didn't work out right um, I know what you're saying about the UVA thing though. I applied there too. And I, I had the same kind of feeling and, and my parents, of course, they wanted me, you know, my mom wanted me to stay on the East coast, but you know, I, I remember very vividly, like when I saw Stanford for the first time and I didn't think that I was going to go there. It was like an afterthought. I was going to stay on the East coast and just being like, Oh dude, you know, like going down Palm drive. I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah. You know, I'd been in California once for a swim meet, but it was Mission Viejo down. So it was like nothing like yeah. Stanford or whatever. And I just remember, you know, the decision was made immediately before I even met anybody there, yeah. you know? So I know what that's like, um, being an East coast boy. Right. hundred percent. Um, and, uh, and at the time, I mean, who were the players in soccer in terms of like NC2A rankings and how did, how did it all shake out in terms of like, you know, the top teams? So, I mean, UCLA has always been a top team, Mm -hmm. you know, going there, I knew it was going to be stiff competition, you know, UVA, uh, was big time wake forest. I think just came off either a national championship or like three straight final fours, something like that. So, you know, I, anywhere, anywhere I went, it was going to be, it was going to be tough, but that's kind of why I wanted to do it. I mean, yeah. Cause I, I think like at least on the high school level, like soccer is a much bigger deal on the East coast than it is in California, or at least that's the way it was when I was a kid. I don't know what it's like now, but is that your Um, sense? College soccer. I mean, on the, on the West coast, you only have traditionally UCLA is like the powerhouse. Mm -hmm. I Um, think at Stanford, it's a club sport. When I, when I was in school there, it wasn't, it wasn't even a varsity. Now it is. Yeah. Is it a varsity sport? Yeah. Uh But UCLA um, is definitely, you know, traditional powerhouse, if you will, on the West coast, but on the East coast, you have the UVAs, mm-hmm. um, ACC is, is King, um, right. Indiana's pretty good program historically. So it definitely is a East coast, you know, Midwest kind of sport, I guess. And how does it work, uh, in terms of, uh, rankings? Like, like, does it, does it work sort of like, like, is there a tournament like basketball? Like mm-hmm. where you, there's a, the top yeah. team and- you know, depending on the conference, you have a conference tournament. Uh, the Pac-12 UCLA doesn't, right. so it's just based on standings during the season. Uh, you know, you, there are at-large bids, um, and but instead of basketball, where there's 64 and what six or four teams that play in or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, for soccer it's just strictly 48. So mm-hmm. you have the top 16 seeds get buys for the first round, and then the other 32 teams play. Um, the first weekend and then it, it goes down. And is it like World Cup where it's in different places and then it all ends up? 
Um, It's uh, always at the higher seed school up until the final four, mm. which is for whatever reason, usually in a freezing location. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. Yeah. I I think it like 2010 was in Santa Barbara and you know, it was perfect final four, but for ours, when we made it to the final four, my senior year, um, it was in Birmingham, Alabama in December. So it was, you know, pitch was frozen and, people watching were, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, so it wasn't, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Right. And so, so was that the highest, uh, that you guys rose when you were there, you were at final four, your senior year and what what happened there? Um, so senior year, we, uh, we didn't start out too hot. We were probably, I think one, two and one or something like that. Mm -hmm. First four games and, you know, kind of in the back of our head, we've, my, three years prior to that we were always we should have won like two national championships i would say right but we just for whatever reason kind of underachieved and so we thought oh gosh we're doing it again and um we turned it around and um got to the to the final four against unc who was everyone was saying that was like the national championship game mm-hmm. um and we end up uh tying 2-2 in regulation um we were up one zero. They tied it one one. We go up with fifteen minutes left or something like that, and then they score like five minutes left to go in the game, uh, and uh, we lose in penalty kicks. Oh, it was man. like yeah, it's heartbreaking. And uh, but I mean, the one consolation I guess was people were saying that was like one of the better games that they've ever seen. Right. So and what what position were you playing? So I was in high school. I grew up and I got recruited as a as a winger. Um, but I actually, you know, tore my leg up, uh, pretty bad my knee, uh, going into my freshman year. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, that ultimately decided my career there. It was actually like the last practice before I headed out to Westwood. Oh no. Yeah. That must've been like, were you just completely freaked out? I actually took it. I, I was, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Uh-huh. I was so in shock that. I, you know, didn't cry, didn't, you know, make excuses. I just kind of happened. The mm. first like six months I toured, I think in end of July and I left for LA, you know, the beginning of August, mm-hmm. just all, everything happened too fast to like even process it. Um, yeah. I mean, I wish I got a fair shake for sure playing wise, but I mean, I wouldn't be where I am right now if I, if it didn't happen for sure. I always knew that I kind of wanted to do what I do now being a sports agent, mm-hmm. but you know, I always intended, like I think most people do to, to be a professional first. And, uh, after blowing out my knee, uh, that first like four month period in mm-hmm. school was, you know, it was tough. I was spending, you know, preseason when everyone else is getting to know each other and everything on the field, you know, in my dorm room, leg up, ice right. pack on and kind of by myself. So the first six months of school was was a definite change from mm-hmm. being in Virginia with all my friends and mm-hmm. being the guy and coming to LA and not having anyone and right. being the guy in the in the dorm by himself. So it was tough. And did that? I mean, did that heal up so you were able to play ultimately, or did that just that put the the you know that was you were done? Yeah. No, oh, I wow, mean I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I mean, it was 
you know, I was still a member of the team. I was still out there practicing and mm. played in a few games, but for the most part, it really, it really, uh, you know, messed me up because I came back too soon. I tore my hamstring, led to compensation. So right. like it just, you know, it was you a mess. You never were able to put it together. Exactly. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that that no, it's, I mean, it was a blessing in disguise in a right. way. As are so many things. You yeah. Know, and you think it's the worst thing ever. It turns out, you know, in retrospect, you're like, that was awesome that that yeah. happened. Right? No, definitely. Yeah. So, I, I mean, how does that, uh, you know, how does the agenting thing? I mean, sports agents are like, when you think of it, it's sort of like that pie in the sky thing. Like, it sounds like, it sounds cool. You know, like when you're yeah. in high school, you're like, that would be a cool job, Yeah. you know? But then you're like, yeah, but how does anybody do that? Yeah. Like, it just seems like impossible. You know, like there's only a few guys in the well, world. I was know? definitely, I was definitely that kid, uh, watching Entourage in uh, high school and an Ar- you know, what was it? Arliss? Ari Gold. Arliss is what well, people were telling me to check out Arliss, but I, oh, like, you never that's saw before me. That, that predates Entourage, yeah. right? Um, but you know, I wanted to see Ari, you know, be Ari gold kind of thing and, right. or our list, if you will. And, um, you know, I had that goal, you know, if you look at my UCLA soccer bio, you know, it says, you know, majoring in business, uh, economics or whatever mm-hmm. to be a sports agent. So I always knew I wanted to be, it mm-hmm. just got, you know, sped up a little bit with the injury. Um, but that's the one good thing about being at UCLA is like the connections and the people that you're around because that 100% got my foot in the door. Right. Um, I mean, Oh, look over there across the street. There's <laughs> this huge, powerful sports agency. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. And I actually, I didn't know that, you know, I should have known that something like that was in the cards. Cause my first day, uh, you know, at, at soccer practice at UCLA, they were going out to the track for fitness and I was on the side cause I, my knee, I was on crutches and, mm-hmm. um, someone calls out to one of my teammates, you know, says something like, you're going to fail it again this year. And I look behind me and it's Barry Bonds. Like oh, Barry wow. Bonds is just, you know, talking smack to my, uh, uh-huh. to my teammate. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't happen at the typical college. Yeah, campus, it doesn't. Right? So, um, that was my first experience, but you know, I grew up or I played with, uh, in my first two seasons, about 10 professional players. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, after my first season, they got drafted. And after my second season, they got drafted. And after my sophomore season, so this is the winter of 2010, you know, I kind of got my act together after a few years of, or a couple of years of, you know, college, really mm-hmm. getting after it. Um, sent my resume out to a bunch of, agencies both in in dc and back here in la and um only heard from a couple Mm. um and maybe that you know that's how it is right um well it's a weird thing it's kind of like a lot of the entertainment law firm boutique law firms out here like in the beverly hills area where um they're very small and insular and and they're they're only going to hire somebody who has experience, you know. But you can't get experience unless you get hired. Yeah, right? so this is this weird catch twenty two. Or unless so, you're a family member or something. Like right, that. you're like somehow you know somebody who knows somebody, or you can finagle your way into some kind of unpaid internship. I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah, I mean Wasserman's a little bit different than that because it's it's big. You know, it's there's, big. There's a lot of people there. No, hundred percent. But that's little did I know that. Uh, three of my teammates that season, you know, a couple months earlier had gotten signed by, Mm -hmm. you know, 
the boss now, Richard Motzkin of soccer. And so, um, you know, when I sent my resume to Wasserman, they saw that I was at UCLA. They saw who my coach was. Um, they asked my former teammates now, you know, professionals and I got good recs. And so I got an mm -hmm. interview and I didn't screw up too badly. So then uh -huh. they, they asked me to do an unpaid internship in, right. in our, our office in DC. So, oh, wow. so I was in <clears> DC, there. um, the summer 2010 going in my, going into my junior year of school. So, right. Um, which is great. I mean, it's only, so it's been almost four years, I guess, right? almost four years, like off and on with the company. But like I said, I mean, uh, Moby Akugo, Mikey Stevens and, um, Kyle Nakazawa were three of my, three of my teammates who definitely put in a good word. And, um, Bruce Arena, who is arguably the, you know, the most successful U S coach in history. Um, his son was my assistant coach at UCLA. Oh, wow. So, and Richard Motzkin, you know, uh, my, my, uh, you know, tutor, my mentor, you know, reps him. So that kind of, right. you know, that helped, uh, tremendously. Right, right, right. So, so you're, so you're living the dream, man. You're actually doing what you wanted. You're, you're becoming what you want. You are what you decided when you were younger, you wanted to become. Yeah. It's right? kind of, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool for sure. It's, uh, so is it like being Ari Gold? <laughs> it's like, there's <laughs> moments where I see it. I haven't gotten there yeah. yet. You know, it's definitely, you've only been there. How long were you an, an unpaid intern before you were started to get paid so, and have this? So career? I did, I did it for that summer unpaid. Uh, I was asked back the following summer, decided to do it out in LA uh -huh. and, and I got paid that summer. Um, and then after we lost in the final four and, and PKs to UNC, I ended up full time going into it. And, uh, the way the soccer season's set up is that in the fall you play. So then everyone's set up so that they're done with school mm -hmm. in December. And then the, the MLS draft is in January. Mm -hmm. So players have about a month to get ready. There's a combine and then mm -hmm. there's a draft. So I went in it. I uh, started representing a couple of my teammates and uh, obviously with the help of everyone you else. you have to talk them into it? You're like, are you really a sports agent? <laughs> <laughs> are you just <laughs> fronting? No, I mean, they, they knew, you yeah. know, they knew my motive all along. Right. So, you know, they were, they were ready for it. They were ready like, for it. That, this day was always coming, right? Definitely. So, I mean, it definitely helped to have some guys who were willing to take that jump uh, uh -huh. with me and understood it. But I mean, there's, a, it's a team at Wasserman for sure. So, you know, Richard, Aaron Maines, these guys have my, you know, right. have my back. So they're supporting me all the way. So, so, uh, so in soccer, it's really all about, um, January and the MLS draft. Like that's what you're gearing. It's like, it's like that movie draft day, right? Yeah, like exactly. it's all coming down to that day. A hundred percent. Definitely in the U S for sure. Right. And for college kids, you know, that's the period of time is August is preseason from August to, to December. If you're lucky, it's the season and mm -hmm. the finals. And, and then from December to early January, you're really just prepping for this combine and the draft in mid January. So. And so, and a huge part of your job, I mean, based upon just following you on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> is, uh, you're just scouting these guys and you're traveling all over the country, visiting these colleges and watching these guys and, you know, trying to figure out who your, you know, who your clients are going to be. And then also, you know, visiting your clients on all the various MLS teams. Yep, exactly. Right? You know, it's, uh, you have to obviously juggle everything. And, um, you know, sometimes you wish you could be at two split, you know, two places at one time, but, um, I like being out there and seeing stuff for my own, you know, mm -hmm. myself because, 
Um, you know, the difference between, I think, soccer and other sports right now is the journalist side. You know, they're trying to get ahead, and so they're pumping people that mm. might not deserve it. Or, I mean, they're trying to create dramatic stories. Exactly. Or, right. Trying to get readers and stuff like that. So, you know, you have people talking about a player who might not be that good, and so it's really good to be out there and to see it for yourself. And, right. Can't trust what you're reading. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I like doing that. You know, being in California, it's a hotbed for sure. Um, and then, you know, on the East coast, you have all the various markets with Philly and New York and all the way up to Boston. So you're able to get a fair amount in. So how often does, I mean, and this is coming from somebody who like, this is a world I really don't know that much about. Mm-hmm. So t- you know, forgive me if I'm ignorant, but, uh, you know, how often is it that a kid will come up and either out of high school or out of college just take the leap to a European team and, and just, you know, forego the whole MLS thing. You know, it's happening more and more now. Um, you know, I think in 2008, Rich signed the first homegrown player, the first guy that bypassed college altogether. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, and now it probably happens, you know, 10, 15 times a year. Whereas, you know, the, just six years ago, there was only one. Right. And obviously, you know, in this culture in America, it's definitely, oh man, you're, you're foregoing college. That's like a huge step. What are you doing? You know? And, uh, where else in England, that's normal, you know, right, of school course. is secondary to, to soccer for sure. And guys leave for a lot less than what these guys are here in mm-hmm. the States. So, I mean, when you look at, at, at soccer in the United States, still, by a landslide, it's the biggest participation sport that we have, right? Like more kids play soccer than any, as youngsters than any other sport, right? No, is that true? No, yeah. It's true, right? Yeah. It's got to be true. I mean, it's easy. You roll the balls out and kids right. go play yeah, and kick, just, the, exactly. kick it around in the, in the yard. So. But then something happens along the line where it's not translating at the highest, highest level, like at that super upper echelon level. So what is, like, what is, you know, what could be better or what's missing or What's different? I mean, obviously, we don't have the rabid, you know, culture here that exists not yet. in United Kingdom or, yeah, not yet. Yeah. Right? It's, it's spoken like Arliss. So, <laughs> not yet. I mean, <laughs> well, what's the difference? You know, is it just I, culture? I think it's a little bit of culture, exposure, um, dollars, you know, all this right. comes into. Uh, comes into the mix, but I think it's growing and it's grown in leaps and bounds over the last mm-hmm. few years. Um, and, and so MLS is healthy. It's, it's healthy. Like the, the attendance is high. Like these teams are profitable. And so, you know, most of the teams are profitable. Whereas mm-hmm. 15 years ago, they were having teams, you know, out of the league because right. they couldn't be funded. You know, I think in 2001 or two, you know, Tampa Bay mutiny and, and Miami fusion were cut because it just wasn't, you know, they were trying to mm-hmm. build this league and they were dying. Mm-hmm. And now you have, you know, just last week, Atlanta is given, given a team, you know, next year, New York city FC mm-hmm. is going to have a team in Orlando city. So, you know, it's just growing. And I right. think Beckham's going to get a club here soon. So, right. 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 Um, we need, we need like some star power though, too, you know, it's sort of yeah. like, is Landon Donovan, he's, yeah. is he retired now? No, Landon's he's still playing, but he's kind of in the latter part of his, sort of in the twilight of his career. Yeah. Though. So we need another, you know, we need a guy like that. Or we need somebody that we can decorate, that we can prop up and create, you know, a narrative around that gets people excited. Exactly. And I think what, you know, we've seen it over the last, you know, three World Cups now is, you know, 
the World Cup is a big, big boost for American soccer. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's great that it's, you know, here in June, um, you know, everyone rallies around it. Everyone loves, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the seeing the teams and, you know, taking the extended lunch breaks and stuff to right. to go root on, you know, England versus Algeria or whatever it is. And I think that all collectively benefits, you know, the game of soccer here because it creates new fans. Right. And so, um, and you also see it, I mean, uh, my best friend, Andy Rose, who I was up in Seattle visiting, um, you know, his girlfriend is Ryan Bradley, whose mm-hmm. brother is Michael Bradley, um, who is probably the best American soccer player right now, who um, just decided to leave Europe, to leave AS Roma, one of the best mm. Italian teams, to come back to MLS. And mm. he... Uh, because... Just to... he The level of play is growing. He doesn't think it's a step back and, and the money is getting better. And right. uh, he wants to be a part of a good league and a growing league. And I think more people are, are, are seeing that and, you know, realizing that MLS is, you know, is serious and mm-hmm. they're trying to make a, you know, a step forward for sure. Interesting. I mean, what is the salary differential like on average? Like, obviously if you're back, you're some huge star, you're getting ridiculous amounts yeah. of money at your FC overseas. But in terms of like a journeyman player on a European team versus like, you know, a, more of a top tier player in the MLS. Like, is there still a huge, yeah. I mean, yeah. there is a big discrepancy for sure. in these salaries, um, in January of next year, there's going to be a new collective bargaining agreement. And I think, um, you know, the players, while they're not excited about a potential lockout, and, um, I think, uh, they are excited about the prospect of, you mm-hmm. know, increased wages and a little bit better playing conditions. And, you know, frankly, I think it's deserved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at, uh, when you're looking at these players, you're scouting them, you're traveling around. I mean, what is it, what is like the defining quality that you're looking for other than the obvious, like, Oh, he can, he can really play, but like what makes the difference between somebody who's good and somebody who you can see like huge potential in stepping into some big shoes? You know, I personally have a weak spot for people that like fight through adversity and, and kind of, um, you know, haven't always been the, the top prospect. And it's tough because a lot of these kids are the top prospects. Right. But there is, you know, a difference between who's the best guy at age 16 and who's maybe the sixth or seventh guy. And within a year, you know, it's the vice versa. Right. And you so, sound like Kevin Costner in draft day. Now yeah. Again. So I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> it's all yet. about draft day. You, so you obviously saw yeah, the movie. I saw the movie. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see the movie, uh-huh. but I mean, it's, you know, for me, it's obviously skill, but it's also uh-huh. what's between the ears. And if the kid is a good kid, a quality kid, he's not tweeting stupid mm-hmm. stuff and right. he's actually, you know, he's focused on becoming a professional player. So obviously that has to do with research, like talking to the club coach and talking to, you know, friends and um, family and just kind of right. getting the entire picture of a kid because now you really have to see draft day. Yeah. I need to go see it, but, <laughs> and not that it's the greatest movie in the world, but like just what you said is, is very similar to what that character yeah. actually goes through in the movie. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, so many things come into play in terms of, uh, you know, how potential talent is going to develop. And it, it's so much more than, you know, your skill, your, your footwork or your skill level. It's like, what kind of teammate are you? You know, is your head screwed on straight? Are you making good decisions off the field? You know, all of these things that, you know, it's your, your 
considering whether they're going to be suitable as a professional, you know, quote unquote professional and being a professional is like, this is, you know, this is so much more than how many goals are you going to, are you capable of scoring? Yeah. You don't want, I mean, you don't want them to sign the piece of paper and think that it's over. You know, I try telling them that congratulations, it's your first contract, you know, it's a big deal, but you know, we want two, three, four contracts, you know, it's not the, mm-hmm. it's the first step it's of a long, long career. Like, and that's what we hope from you and want for you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you can't be complacent because it's easily, you know, you know, someone's right on your heels. It's going to sign next year, next right. month. So, and how does it work? I mean, once you, once you get these guys signed with these teams, then what happens in terms of trying to, uh, you know, get endorsement deals and do you, you work that whole side of the business as well? Yeah. I mean, we're fortunate because of the size of Wasserman. We're able to have like a team that's purely based on, on trying to find those marketing opportunities and endorsement deals. And for soccer, obviously it's not as glamorous as, you know, our basketball guys, you know, Russell Westbrook's in the office and he has, you know, New York times interviewing him for, for fashion week and things Uh like that. Or, um, but I mean, you're trying to find them free swag or, or trying to find, you know, some, uh, some marketing opportunity that, that gets them a little bit of exposure and, and, you know, really helps build the, build the player's brand, but also the sport. Right. So give a little background on like what Wasserman, you know, does and, and all the tentacles because it's, it really is, it's quite an amazing organization that really has its, has its finger on the pulse of so many different things that allows you to really leverage all of that for the benefit of the people that you're working with. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, when we have the guys and their families come to the office, it's kind of sells itself uh, because it's, it's right down, down there in Westwood and it's, Mm -hmm. it's pretty sweet. Um, but Wasserman was started by Casey Wasserman, uh, son of, mm-hmm. of the Lou Wasserman, the big, you know, Hollywood mogul. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, he wanted to do what his grandfather did and, uh, he wanted to make not a movie empire, but a sports industry empire. So he started acquiring, um, you know, different practices throughout the early two thousands. And, uh, you know, he acquired Richard Motzkin and Dan Siegel, my two bosses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in 2006, right before the 2006 world cup. And, um, you know, we've obviously built one of the most successful, you know, if not most successful soccer branches in, in the U S but he also, you know, we represent basketball, Arn Tellum, mm-hmm. who Arliss has actually been rumored to be about. Oh, he's the, uh, he's, he's the inspiration. Yeah. Arn is just, you know, down the office from us in soccer. And, um, he represents, you know, the big time basketball players. Um, you know, most notably recently, Jason Collins, you mm-hmm. know, who came out as the first uh, right, right. openly gay basketball player. Right, and right. Derek Rose, who unfortunately has been injured a little bit, but, um, was an MVP not mm-hmm. too long ago. Uh, football, Andrew Luck, um, baseball, but also we have a entire you know corporate consulting group who mm-hmm. does the marketing rights and naming rights for sort of a lot of stadiums and a mm-hmm. lot of companies, a lot of projects. So, and and marketing, like I said, right. we have guys that do that and try to build um, you know opportunities for our guys off the field to generate some more income. So. Our satellites in LA, but we have, I mean, our headquarters, everywhere. our headquarters yeah. is in LA, but we have, uh, you know, an action sports, Steve Astevin down in Carlsbad with, uh, the motorsports. Mm-hmm. Um, we have offices in New York, uh, DC, Raleigh and 
we have an entire, you know, very successful UK group um, in London and then various agents mm-hmm. and offices throughout Europe to kind of have helped build our football practice for sure. That's crazy. That's, uh, it's funny cause, um, well, for listeners that don't know, you had re- you referenced Lou Wasserman, who essentially is for people that don't know. I mean, he's responsible for sort of almost almost you know creating the Hollywood that we know today. Like Hollywood is a very different place before that guy kind yeah. of you know pioneered some new ways of doing business and created kind of a lot of the systems and sort of the way that business is done to to this day, yeah. right? And uh, and he was always known for wearing these huge glasses, right? <laughs> Pictures of huge glasses. And I had the good fortune of meeting meeting your your boss, the boss boss, yeah. Casey, uh, recently. And I saw that he had the glasses in a Lucite case behind his desk, which was really cool. And he really has, I mean, super nice guy, avid cyclist. You guys, they represent a bunch of cyclists too. Yeah. Um, uh, TJ, I think you have Mark Cavendish. Exactly. Also. So, yeah, I mean, amazing. Uh, all the different, you know, even you think like a big sports is, I mean, obviously I'm sure the bet, the bread and butter of the, of the business is football, basketball, you know, what you would expect. But the fact that, you know, you have agents working in all of these other, you know, more sort of niche considered sports is pretty awesome. It's cool. No, I mean, I actually, I was invited to the draft day Mm -hmm. premiere in Westwood because um, our marketing division had some of the basketball players coming in and and, or football players taking that in, but was unable to do it. But um, things like that, you know, it's just on a daily, Mm -hmm. you know, daily occurrence that, you know, you could get roped into something that you had no plan on doing, but just because you're in the office and we have right. so many things together. It must be like every day you must be like, Oh my God, look over there. Like, who's that? You know, yeah. <laughs> walking through the, down the hallway. Right. I, it was crazy today. I mean, this month really is the busiest time for our basketball group because they're signing all the, the college prospects and the draft mm-hmm. is not not too far away, but they, they have everyone in Westwood. They house them here. They take them to workouts and stuff like that. But, you know, you randomly, you randomly don't know, you know, what seven footer just passed by you because you take the corner a little too, too quick and you don't have time to see them. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. But you're, uh, but you're getting ready to move, right? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to do the cross country trip this week, actually. Oh, you are. Wow. Yeah. Just put everything into my, in my car and just drive, drive East. I'm going to, so, I mean, it sounds like life in LA is pretty good. So why would you pick up and go East? No, I, you know, I have reservations for sure, but I think right now for me to really grow as an agent, I think I need to, um, move to DC back to DC and work with Dan Siegel, who's, you know, been another huge, huge part of my, uh, my working life and is really like my father figure on the East coast. I mean, Rich has been, has been my guy here and has really taken me under his wing. But, um, I think for now, just for a lot of reasons, it's, it's good to change your pace. I got you. I would imagine also in terms of, of scouting and everything. I mean, you could hit so many colleges in such a short period of time, just up and down the Eastern seaboard. Yeah. It's probably a lot more easy for you to kind of do a lot of things you do. That's a huge advantage. And that's something that, you know, will be great. And also the fact that Rich told me that, you know, I can come to LA whenever I want. You know, that gives me your bi-coastal already. Yeah. Some flexibility. (laughs) All right. Well, we got to get to the part about like how we, how we actually hooked up here. Like yeah. how we actually met, like I'm just trying to remember how we first, how, what the first, you know, shot over the bow was. I think like you were just starting to play around with your diet and running and things like that. Right. And you, you were playing around with a plant-based diet. Yeah. I'm, 
I was, think it must have been on Twitter though. Or no, something. no, I think what happened was Casey actually. Oh, Casey, really? um, you know, he knew I was like, he knew I was like, prepping for um, my first marathon, and mm-hmm. I just started that just because now I'm out of school. Like I don't have anything to do, you know, anything to focus on. No soccer practice, and I was starting to gain some weight and mm-hmm. wasn't having good habits. And he kind of said, you know, you should check out this book. It was your book. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love that. So Casey Washerman is referring <laughs> my book. To exactly. You. And this has been like when he was first starting too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I checked it out and I was instantly like hooked and read the book in you know, a matter of days. Um, and I actually had my, like, you know, my grandfather was sick and that kind of mm-hmm. was the, you know, the starter for me adapting a more healthy lifestyle, quote unquote, but you know, my healthy lifestyle wasn't that great. And mm-hmm. I started doing, you know, messing with like paleo and a lot of like right. protein shakes and stuff like that. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't good. Right. So you were doing, you were playing around with paleo when you were on the team at UCLA. Exactly. Right? We talked about this yeah. before. And just so what was your, yeah. What was your experience with that? Just, I mean, I got super lean, I got cut, but it wasn't, uh-huh. I didn't feel good. You know, trainers didn't think I was like energy level yeah, or something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Didn't think I looked good or healthy and had blood work done. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't good. You know, right. I was calcium deficient. I was, Hey, that's the wrong bike. Julie comes in. <laughs> yeah. You, you bring in Tyler's bike. I, I think Greg wants to grab my bike. Yeah. You the There's wrong too many one. bikes in here. I know <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to be all, we're not in a radio studio. Yeah, right. this is the I first know. time I'm meeting Julie. Julie. There you go. Good to see you. <laughs> I'm a little grab that some one butterflies right now. I know. <laughs> what? It's okay. Um, um, but yeah, I wasn't healthy. You know, hormone right. levels all messed up. I thought I was. I mean, I looked good. I was. Um, you know, guys were commenting, you know, wow, you look. You know, you look shredded. Fit. And yeah, stuff. but mm-hmm. was not healthy. And uh, but I was in denial, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I'm eating more than anyone. Like. I was just not eating the right and so stuff. So when you were starting to, oh, but this was when you were still. Like, yeah. This was this was this predates like marathon. Yeah. Interest, exactly. Right? Okay. Right. Um, but then. But then you're starting to work as an agent, and then you're getting used to the sedentary work life, right? Yeah, so and just on the like traveling and stuff like that, right. and I just kind of lost. You know, it was trying to survive in the agent world, kind of. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going from having maybe three hours a day of having to do something in college to, you know, not knowing what I really have to do in the life of an agent. So I was just, um, so then, yeah, I ran into Casey, Casey, um, mentioned your book. I read your book. I was hooked. You know, I started, um, slowly, slowly incorporating more and more of the plant power stuff. And, um, you know, started seeing, started seeing, you know, results feeling better, but couldn't, you know, couldn't kick the, you know, occasional pizza or, or Diddy Reese cookies right. uh, in Westwood. So I think that's important though, because it's important to talk about that and to be kind of open and transparent about that. Because I think a lot of people think like, oh, if you can't just, you know, make the switch, like boom, you know, overnight and be yeah. super hardcore, if you can't make that work, then like, you know, either, either the, the program doesn't work or it's not, you know, it's just not possible no, it's, or it's too hard or something like that. And it's like, we're human beings. We have to like evolve into these things. Like exactly. it's not an overnight thing. Like you got to like adjust slowly and 
you know, step into it and allow yourself to like, you know, screw up or whatever and be cool with that as long as you're kind of continuing to move forward. No, definitely. And it was hard. I mean, it took, mm-hmm. took a while. We ended up meeting at that, at a, for coffee that one day. Right. And that was really, you know, that was awesome. Um, and kind of was a kickstart helped it even more. And, um, so that when I met you that time, that was still pretty early, pretty early. Oh, you were early on. See, I, I thought you were like full on at that point. I but was, you were like, that was like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Maybe, that was or something. That was a little while yeah, ago. No, nah, I was ago. just like, you know, I was getting into it. You know, I was probably like good on the, during the week and bad on the weekends right, kind of thing. Right. And, um, I ran my first marathon. I had, you know, in Carlsbad, I think it was 13, Carlsbad 2013. And I did fairly well, but like, I wasn't anywhere near, mm-hmm. you know, 80, 10, 10, or, you know, doing it right. You know, right. I was definitely, I went to my friend's house the night before I stayed at his place and his mom was making me, you know, marathon food before, but it was uh, pasta laced right. with butter. And, you know, I didn't know she put cheese on it before she put the, mm-hmm. you know, marinara sauce on it. And I just felt terrible, but like, you know, what can you do? She's feeding me, she's housing me. Like I can't, you know, right. Um, but ended up running it pretty well and that got me like hooked for the next one. So then I did the next race in June and I was a little bit better and, um, and it just kind of snowballed. And I finally, you know, I found, uh, you know, after your Michael Arnstein, um, interview or podcast that definitely interests me. And I've slowly started to, you know, eliminate, more of the, you know, I used to do protein powder and stuff like mm-hmm. that, kind of like what you were saying and, you know, slowly start honing in on what works for me. And, um, I'm not fully raw, but like, I'm definitely, you know, mostly fruits and vegetables during mm-hmm. the day. And then at night I probably have some rice and beans or last night I had some potatoes and stuff like that. So, right. Right. So you're not, so you're not like eating, you're not just eating, you're not like Arnstein where you're just eating no. bananas or durian riders. No, but it intrigued like all me. Long. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, you it's, know, and you probably heard, did you listen to Mac Danzig? Yep. So he's, you know, he's all about it now. Yeah. He's loving it. And it's interesting to hear that. Like, you know, I eat tons of fruit and vegetables, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize myself as 80, 10, 10. Like I'll eat like a typical, you know, well, plant-based, but like a cooked dinner yeah. and, you know, I'll have, you know, rice and beans and lentils and, you know, just different kinds of things. So I don't know if that, that probably doesn't really qualify as 80, 10, 10 strictly or whatever, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm less concerned about labels exactly. and how I feel and, and always continuing and to try to improve. You know, that's the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from you and others is that, it's more about the lifestyle, you know, Mm -hmm. you always preach, you know, sustainability and it's so true. Like, you know, if you shouldn't do something, if you don't enjoy it, you shouldn't do something if you, you can't sustain it. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a hard process to get to it because you gotta, yeah. Sustainability comes from making shifts slow, you know, tiny little changes over time that you can incorporate into your life without like, you know, some kind of like endpoint or, you know, deadline or something. Yeah. It's hard. When you started playing around with this, I mean, what were the differences that you started to feel or experience versus what you were experiencing when you were playing around with paleo? Yeah, no, I mean, when I was paleo, I had headaches. I had, um, you know, I was extremely hungry. I was starving. You know, I... I was eating three or six meals a day, but I was eating, you know, this amount, that amount, you know, I was, 
I was so very, trying to be very careful, like your, about your calorie amounts or was this like, were you doing like a super low cal, like you low carb, very low carb, like, so, um, I just didn't feel good. I didn't have any energy. And so then I transferred over to, to this and it was like night and day. I mm-hmm. started, like you said in your book many times, like you had too much energy. You didn't know what to do with yourself. And that's really what You're like, I got to go <laughs> Yeah, get the next marathon. On I got to do the craziest thing and <laughs> just know. go run. Like, you know, people are like, why, why, how can you do that? Well, try it. And you, you know, you right. might see, you'll, you'll realize. So, um, so how did you, how did you, how did that impact your running? Do you think like what, what, how did those times come down or how did it impact your day-to-day training? So the, I mean, the biggest thing was weight, you know, mm-hmm. I've lost probably 15 solid pounds since you know 14 months ago or whatever it right. was. Um, and then just recovery time, you know, people say it and, you know, I'm starting to believe it. You know, I was telling you, mm-hmm. you know, on Friday, uh, I ran four hours, I ran a marathon and change and I woke up the next morning and I ran another 20 and right. there's no way that I could have done that. <laughs> you know, my, in 12, a year and a half ago, when you first met me, that a year and a half ago, my yeah. first training run was two hours and I went around UCLA about three times, maybe like 12, 12 miles. And I uh-huh. couldn't walk in the office like the rest of the day and the day after. Right. And so just like so you ran a four hour marathon and then you woke up the next day and went running again. It yeah. Felt good. Ran three yeah. hours the next day. So yeah, it's I crazy. Mean, so what do you, what do you, uh, what's your like fueling strategy or hydration strategy when you're tra- in those training runs? So I, I really just, I have one of those water bottles, uh, that I fill with, with Datorade with, you know, I mm-hmm. probably put 15, 20 dates, some water and blend yeah, it up. You said, you said Datorade, not Datorade, Gatorade. not yeah. Gatorade, Datorade. So you just blend up dates with water. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, if I have extra, then I drink it before I run and I kind of sip on it every 20 to 30 minutes throughout my run. And mm-hmm. it does, does the job. Does the deal, man. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's cool. And, uh, so that's it. No, no other, like, you I know, mean, when you're in four hours, I'm chilling. Like, yeah, like I was telling you, I'm not running like, zone. exactly. Right. I'm not running too hard. You know, when I'm doing marathon training, it's different. You know, sometimes I try to practice like I will in the race where I'll have like a, I'll have gels instead. Mm-hmm. Um, Brazier was nice enough. You know, he sent me some Vegas stuff. Right. Um, so I have those packets at home and, and I've used those and I used those in my last race, but, um, I try to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the fact that, you know, if, you can get it from just natural foods and stuff like that. I, I stick to that. No doubt, man. So you're getting ready. So the next race is North face 15 mile. Yeah. North face endurance challenge in June, I think June 7th or something like that uh-huh. and, uh, in DC. So yeah. it'll be a hot one, but it's going to be nice and humid. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's lot- different. It's a, it's so much different when you go running in, D- in like the DC, you know, the, the, in the summertime yeah. versus out here. It's a completely different experience. You're sweating before you even take your <laughs> first know, step. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm used to it. Like I know what I can you know expect mm-hmm. this year. I did it last year. I did the marathon last year. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah. Cool, man. So are you just, uh, you coming up with your own plan or how are you figuring out how to prepare? You know, actually, uh, a guy, you know, a guy's, who's a fan of yours, I think I forget how we got hooked up, but he like commented on my Instagram or something like that and noticed that I was, you know, getting into running and he emailed me and we hooked up and he actually sent me over a plan. 
His oh, name's that's Rob cool. Ricardo, actually. Oh, nice, man. So, yeah, the guy's, the guy's a legend. So, I guess he's taking classes and he's trying to get be a certified, uh, you know, trainer and stuff like that. But he sent me over, you know, a detailed mm-hmm. um, workout plan for the next, it's a, I think it was a 12-week plan. So, mm-hmm. I've cool. been doing that, busting that out. And other than the runs, like what other, what, what other kind of things are you doing to prepare? Like, you know, are you doing the foam rolling and the core work? Like what are the other, um, I do light lifting, lower body, mm-hmm. I do squats and stuff. Um, I do, you know, I have a foam roller. I've done a little bit of yoga. Um, who is it? Tara styles. Is that, uh-huh. yeah, I've seen, yeah. I'd kind of get her YouTube videos up and try to yeah, cool. try to work off that. And, uh, I play a little soccer here and there. My coworker, Aaron, he sometimes needs bodies out there for uh, mm-hmm. his Santa Monica airport league. Uh, so I get out there and do a little cross training that way. But yeah. Does that get your uh, like competitive juices flowing or do you just feel like that's, that's, that was before, you know, now I'm a runner. Yeah. I, there's times where I have to like be conscious of, you know, if I'm too explosive <laughs> or if I try right. to go for, you know, that's, you know, I might I mean, be could out. you blow it out again? Like, are you like, I mean, were you told like you, you just can't play soccer? No, anymore? no, no. I'm less worried about my knee. It's my hamstrings. Like, I feel like if I get in, I mean, speed was my big asset, like, mm-hmm. and shiftiness. And, um, you know, when I got back from my knee injury, I blew out my, my hamstring. Like, right. and so it just, it didn't, it wasn't good. My gait was all messed up and that's what um, really led to me focusing on core work and stuff. So I do do a lot of core work and mm-hmm. that like helps tremendously with my alignment and all that when I'm running. So, mm-hmm. and how is it when you're, you're trying to eat your meals in the, uh, like the UCLA commissary and yeah. like, can you get what you need to eat there? Like so, it's pretty sorted out. So I'm Eho there. I mean, I, yeah. So I'm the, what does son, that mean? Uh, the, the, the nice, uh, Mexican or Latin American workers there, they know who I am. And uh-huh. so, um, you know, they might have, you know, fried rice out there, but in the back they have brown rice. So, uh-huh. you know, they'll see me there and like, you know, quiero arroz moreno and <laughs> boom, I get my brown rice. So, and they bring out all the fruit to you. And all yeah. That? Okay. No, I mean, the, UCLA is actually, I mean, I don't know if they're just saying that or if it's actually true, but I think they're like the number one, you know, cafeteria, oh, um, wow. you know, service in, in the country. And I'd believe it. I mean, they have you know, specific cafeterias on campus where you can get, you know, there's one that's predominantly for, for health. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they're good about their stuff right? for sure. So you're doing this thing, like, I mean, a year and a half ago, did you think you were going to be like a plant munching, uh, ultra runner? No. <laughs> it's like, it is, a, it's a little bit different than the soccer world. Yeah, no, it's, you know, coming from DC, yeah. uh, you know, this isn't exactly, uh, their cup of tea. You know, I always grew up coming back late at, from soccer practice, having an entire Domino's pizza by mm. myself or, you know, I know what that's like, you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, the afternoon, uh, cafeteria of, you know, three hamburgers and three sides of fries or something like mm-hmm. that. And, um, but no, I mean, I, I love it. I think it definitely, you know, it happened for a reason and LA is definitely a hotbed for this kind of stuff, but, um, I'm starting to 
turn people over on the East Coast a little. Yeah, I want to. So that's what I wanted to get into next, which is like this sort of, you know, advocacy that you're doing. So you started up this thing called Vita Planta, which is like your homegrown like juice company. So you're making you're brewing up all these crazy potions (laughs) in your apartment. Right. And then you bring them to Wasserman and you hand them out. And like what's so what's the that's the that's the most flack I'm getting from from my customers back in in the office for leaving is uh, there no more green juice. No more, no more juices. Yeah, but now I gotta spend thirteen dollars for their yeah, like the earth bar. juice or whatever. No, exactly. <laughs> um no, I mean I got my Vitamix and I was hooked. You know, I when my grandma bought it for me like a year ago or something and I just started blending up drinks for myself. And uh-huh. Aaron actually, my colleague, was like, you know, I'm gonna do a juice, you know, juice cleanse. You know, I was like, Oh, how much does it cost? Uh, it's like two hundred and eighty dollars for three days. And I was like, all right. Oh, well, right. have fun with that. Uh-huh. He did it. And then, you know, he's like, you know, I want to keep doing, you know, having it. And I was like, all right, I'll make you one. He's like, I'll pay you. And, you know, he, I was like, all right, what's good. And I was like, uh, four bucks. And it right. kind of just, he had the first one and everyone saw this, seen it. And, you know, Whitney who works with me too, she was great. She, she came up with labels and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And I started putting them on the Mason jars and it just, and I went from two to four to, I think I was at one point like serving 18 or 20 people. Wow. So, so do you get like a little cart and you're pushing it right <laughs> down the hallway yeah. here, like green, get your green juice? Exactly. No, I That's just, pretty awesome. there's a, there's a refrigerator, um, that I just would put them in there mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, people act on good faith. You know, you don't take someone else's, but <laughs> <laughs> there is a, the occasional green juice dealer, uh-huh. um, you know, it's hard to get mad at them for stealing green juice, though. Yeah. Right, exactly. If but some, uh, yeah, if someone's pimping. Well, it, it's personal, though. Yeah, you know, it's a little more personal. But like, yeah, if somebody's if somebody's stealing that to get healthy, like, yeah, what kind of moral transgression is that? Yeah, exactly. Know, you know? Um, that's cool. So, are you going to continue to do that in the D? How many people are in the DC? So DC is like, much smaller. smaller. Yeah, but you just take it out on the street, though. Exactly, and. <laughs> It's cool because, and I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I mean, people are starting to, to dig it. And, you know, at first they're making fun of you for Mm -hmm. just eating, you know, the green juices or the bananas or whatever, but, you know, intrinsically, you know, they're, they're into it, you know, and they're, they're curious about it and they start asking questions and then they start adopting it. And one of my best friends back home who, you know, standard American white boy, you know, doing the hot dogs and burger grill, you know, mm-hmm. on the weekends is now, you know, running every day. You know, he's like, wow. I'm addicted now. Like, you know, what do you do for shin splints? Things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's hooked and, you know, he's sending me Snapchats of, you know, his ripe bananas and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, it's how risque for yeah, Snapchat. Exactly. I mean, it feels, it feels good, you know, to, yeah, that's cool. To be helping some people. Um, yeah. And I, I think Casey even said, he's like, yeah, you know, Darren brings me my green juice in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Now, now what is he going to do when you're gone? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he could help. Maybe, yeah, yeah. He could probably, <laughs> probably express it yeah. or something. Um, but I'm interested in how this has, you know, your enthusiasm. I mean, because like, at least on social media, you're, you're, you're always sharing, you're always trying to put a positive message out about like lifestyle fitness and diet and nutrition. You're showing what you're eating and your blends and all this kind of stuff, um, which is great. You know, it's like now you're, in, you know, it's like you took, you know, what I delivered in the book you, and now yeah. you're doing your own version of that. And that's what I love. You know, it's like, that's, that's the movement, you know, that is the, that is the plant power revolution. Um, but what happens when, 
um, you take it to, you know, your, your clients, like the players, like you're, you're around all these athletes all the time. Right. Yeah. And like, what is the typical, uh, soccer diet and, and how are you kind of, you know, talking to these guys about nutrition, especially your clients who you have a vested interest in, in succeeding? You know, like, I mean, you've said it best, like you can't preach it really, you know, you just got to live it and, you know, focus on you and, you know, that's what I've been doing. And, you know, I get some of my boys, you know, I love Andrew Farrell. He's my guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he kind of put me on the map. He was the number one draft pick and too fast, too feral. Exactly. Like, you're always tweeting that guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he's my boy, um, out of Louisville, you know, the South and, uh, uh, you know, he's got some, you know, strict food, uh, you know, cravings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I don't force anything upon him, but he, you know, he's curious, you know, I got him your book, mm-hmm. um, last year cause he was curious about it and, you know, he's starting to implement little things here and there. And, um, hopefully, you know, he starts fully on the bandwagon, but, you know, I have another, you know, other friend and client, um, who, you know, asked me, emailed me, asked me for some recipes and things right. like that. And I shot him over Brendan's new, you know, cookbook and, mm-hmm. you know, they're excited about it. So, you know, just trying to educate them if, and when they ask. Yeah, Um, that's cool. I think Brennan has done some stuff in the soccer world. I know he made a video with Landon Donovan. Yeah. Landon. He's worked with teams specifically, but. Yeah. And he's got that new magazine, right? right? The new magazine. So, you know, I've, he's asked me and I'm trying to help him, um, especially this next issue coming up. He's Mm -hmm. trying to get a few of our guys for a world cup edition, if you will. And, um, but no, he's been, he's been great. And, you know, I've tried to plug as many of my guys in there as possible and, mm-hmm. um, try to, you know, and when they do that, they, you know, they're wondering who Brendan is and things like that and mm-hmm. what thrive is all about. And they get, they get interested and curious and they ask about it. And, you know, the really, the big thing is, you know, education, like you said, and trying mm-hmm. to get the message out there and it doesn't matter, you know, who's doing it or how, but mm-hmm. as long as, as long as it's out there. Mm-hmm. And how's it going to go when you get to DC? Where are you going to be eating? <laughs> you know, where are you going to live? Are you going to live in DC proper? Or are you going to be out in Virginia? So, yeah. So the first month I'm probably going to be at home. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's crazy to think, but my mom is just like you. Why are you coming home? Right. You know, what do you want to do here? <laughs> like, uh, and I was like, mom, you don't want me to, you don't want to see me on a daily basis. And she, she's the one who didn't want you to go to California in the first place. Yeah. And she's complaining that you're coming home. Yeah, exactly. So I'm a little, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to hang out in, in great falls for a little bit and try to figure out where I kind of want to live in Arlington. That's where all the, mm-hmm. the young kids live these days. Is but, it? Yeah. I wouldn't know. Clarendon. Old. Really? Right? Yeah. That's God, the place so now. Bizarre. Yeah, man. Uh-huh. Uh, Why? What's going on there? That's so cool. I mean, just, just where all the, the young, the Is young, it? uh, it used to be Adams Morgan. Yeah. You know, my generation. I mean, that's where the bars are some, you know, mm-hmm. some of the bars that they go to now, but, um, we'll figure it out and see, but I mean, it's definitely going to be adjustment, you know, but you know, I, being a college kid kind of adapting this lifestyle, it hasn't always been easy mm-hmm. and, but you know, you kind of learn to embrace it and, you know, you, you'll get the occasional, like how many bananas for lunch today, right. or, you know, there's cool stuff happening in DC though. I think you'll find that there's a lot more people, uh, more interested in it than you might imagine. And, you know, I spoke at the DC veg fest the past two years and got like huge crowds and like people, you know, it's there, you know, there's a lot of interest there and there's yeah. a lot of people that are, you know, on, on point. So I think you'll be it's growing, man. surprised, you know, it's hard to compete with, 
like Venice, California, where yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like it. But, but I mean, I think that you'll be, you're not going to have any trouble finding like-minded people there. No. Really and cool. I mean, that's, that is the coolest thing about it, you know, finding you, you know, mm-hmm. and, and other people that you can share this kind of, you know, lifestyle with and, uh, this message. It's, it's fun. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's cool. Well, I'm going to put all the pressure and heat on you to, you know, push it through the professional sports world now. No, and that's what I, <laughs> I want. Like yeah. I said, you know, I I am, you know, definitely grateful for you and helping me uh, get to where I am and um, we'll still lean on you for sure. And, you know, if Dude. you need anything on my end, for sure, you yeah, got man. it. Thanks. I, I appreciate uh, the kind words, um, but it's just been fun to kind of watch you, uh, you know, watch your career blossom. You know, it's like... It's weird because, you know, I'm almost 48. Dude. It's like I could, I could be your dad, you could. know, but I don't feel like I relate to you like that. I yeah. feel like I relate to you as a friend and, and that feels good. And I think that, you know, for me, the most important thing is that whatever like information or inspiration that I've been able to provide that you just, you, you know, you pass it on and you're definitely doing that, which is great. Yeah. And I think like, you know, what's cool to see too is that, you know, obviously you listen to the show. So, you know, like the theme of the show really is, you know, beyond like what you're putting in your mouth. It's like, how are you, you know, how are you living? Like, are you living to your potential? Like, are you, are you as actualized as you can be? And there's always things we can do to improve, but really, you know, how do we, how do we live the, the, the life that we always wanted to live? And, you know, for the most part, most of the guests and myself included as the host, it's like, we went through a bunch of bullshit (laughs) before we figured out, like we had to course correct and like, you know, dig ourselves out of all kinds of holes to like do all this soul searching and waste a bunch of time. And you're kind of like, yeah, you've had your, you know, your life isn't perfect. And, you know, I'm sure you wish you could have been on some level, a professional soccer player Mm -hmm. or could have at least played at UCLA, but that led to what you're doing now, which is what you wanted to do. And you're doing what you wanted to do. So for people out there who, you know, who maybe aren't doing that or, are looking for some insight or inspiration as to how they could kind of, um, begin the process of trying to be the thing that they always wanted to be. I mean, what kind of words could you impart? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, you talk about it being your authentic self. It's hard, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. especially being young, it's, you have so many things pulling at you and so many distractions, but you know, if you can really hone in on like what you want to be and, and, how you want to do it, you know, I think, um, you know, whatever step it is, you know, for me, you know, I didn't have, I didn't know I had, but, you know, I just did it. I just sent my resume out to Mm -hmm. as many, probably like 20 or 25 agencies or talent firms, um, just hoping I could get something. Um, And, you know, at UCLA, I, you know, made it, made it a point to not just stay in the bubble um, with the soccer team. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, a lot of it had to do with my injury the first year where I was kind of ostracized anyways, but like I made a point of making friends with my volleyball friends down the hallway in the dorms or made a point of, um, kicking it with the water polo guys, you Mm -hmm. know, after practice or, you know, making friends with the, you know, with the gymnastic team, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. Just casting a wide net and making friends and connections in, in different, you know, different sports. Cause I knew like, that's what I ultimately wanted to do. So, I mean, just, you know, obviously in this business, you kind of have to be a go-getter and you have to, right. you know, have a certain goal and, and want to achieve it, but, you know, kind of spreading your tentacles and, and getting out there and, and, um, showing face is, was the biggest thing for me. 
I mean, I think one thing that, that I've noticed about you is that you're pretty, I mean, you have a very outgoing personality and you're a people person by nature, but you're not afraid. You know, it's like when I was 22, like if you said, Hey, you should call up this dude who's 47, you know, who, who wrote a book that you liked and like, see if he wants to meet you. Like, I would never do that. I would have yeah. been terrified, you know, and you're like, Hey man, let's meet. And I'm like, okay, cool. And like, <laughs> but you're, I'm sure if you did that to me, you're doing that all day long with all kinds of people. And so your sort of sphere of, you know, contacts and influence grows exponentially as a result of that. So I see somebody who's very kind of industrious with respect to your, relationships and not afraid to kind of, you know, connect with people. No, I appreciate that. I mean, that means a lot. And I think, you know, Richard Motskin, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my boss and my, my father figure really here in in LA, you know, he, he says, you know, ask a question because, you know, if you don't ask it, you won't get the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't go for it, you won't know. know? And the worst thing you can do is not ask the question or not do what you want to do. And so, you know, I kind of, I learned that pretty early on, I would say. And, you know, yeah, you can be nervous, you could have butterflies, you could be scared, but, you know, ask the question because, you know, it it might happen, you know, you might, you know, I mean, I asked my boss for Ellie Golding tickets the other day and Uh he he made it happen for me. So, (laughs) you know, I like things like Uh that. You just gotta, you be a go-getter. You don't know if you don't put yourself on the line. Exactly. And so I think it's about, and that, I think with that comes this idea of allowing yourself, like giving yourself permission to fail. Like, you know, if you do that, like it may not work out, but you have to be okay with that either way, you know, because it's not about, it's less about what happens and it's more about just the doing of it. Right. You don't learn unless you fall on your face. You know, I've learned that already, you know, in the little time that I've been working is, you know, you, you know, you come in last if you don't try. And if you, you do fail, you pick yourself up and you actually do, you know, you try again and you're most often stronger because of it. You know, it Mm -hmm. is cliche, I guess, because people say it, but it, you know, I've learned from experience that it's true. And, and I think for, for people you know, coming up or, you know, in a hard spot, like the, the thing to do is to ask and the thing to do is to try and, and you don't know if you don't do those things. And if you don't dream big and, and do it, then you never know. Mm-hmm. And so was there ever a moment, uh, in your short lived career, <laughs> <laughs> my short life <laughs> yeah, where you were like, I can't do this. Like I'm in way over my head. Like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be. You know, like I should just go back home to DC. Uh, I mean, there, there are definitely times, you know, early on where, you know, I didn't know if I was cut out for it. You know, I got burned a couple times and, you know, I kind of started out good. I had mm. my few teammates that signed on with me and they were pretty good players. And, um, you know, I kind of put a lot of pressure on myself to continue that and, you know, signing Andrew and him being the number one pick was amazing. And, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't happen f- most often for, you know, rookie agents, right. if you will. Um, and so that put a lot of pressure on me. And, um, you know, I got, I'm naive in the sense that I like to give people a fair shot. And, you know, I don't think that people have bad intentions or ulterior motives. And so, you know, I got burned a couple of times last mm-hmm. year by people that way. And, it hardens you up pretty quick, but I, my style, I definitely like to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, and it's, it's hard. It's a tight line to, to, to walk, but, um, 
you know, after a couple of those instances, you know, there were definitely times where I was questioning, am I right for this or am cut out for this? Like, do I have the heart for this? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it always came back. Do I love what I'm doing? You know, and I do, you know, I mm-hmm. always wanted to be this and, you know, I'm not there yet. You know, I'm, I'm doing it, but I, you know, I'm not where I want to be. And, um, well, just, here's a, here's a little lesson for you on that. That's, you'll never get yeah. there. You know what I mean? As soon as you get there, there's another place for yeah, you that exactly. you don't want to go. So let go of that right yeah. now. Save um, yourself a lot of anguish. <laughs> Good note. Duly noted. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been hard at times, but mm-hmm. you know, nothing worth having in life comes easy. Yeah. Oh, cool, so. man. Well, I think you got a bright career. How do you? Appreciate it. And uh, just keep eating plants. Keep running, dude. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, man. All right. Well, you can stay in touch when uh, you get to D.C. Yeah, I expect I expect you to, to <clears throat> run with me when you get out I to I think D.C. we'll be, we're, we're looking at visiting there at some point this summer, either July or August. I'm not sure. Bring out the whole family because the little, little girls haven't seen the museums and all that kind of stuff. So Definitely. my parents live, they live in Georgetown. So yeah. they want to, they want to see everybody. So I'll be out there and DC is a great running city, man. Right along the canal and stuff. Oh, there's and so many great places to run there. Yeah. The National mall. I love it. When I stay at my parents' house in, in Georgetown, just to be able to go down run along the river, run over the bridges, you know, all that kind of stuff. Kind of close to the office. So I could always meet you halfway. Yeah. We where's the, where's the office there? It's like Arlington road in Bethesda. So, I mean, uh, it's like, it's where I grew up. Yeah. I was so like, it's right by Landon. And it's like, uh, yeah. I mean, that's my old neighborhood, man. Exactly. So I could meet you halfway and we could All do right. something. Work it out. Cool, man. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for stopping by, man. Appreciate it, man. It's give, an honor. Uh, give uh, DC a high five for me. I will, dude. All right, man. You're you keep inspiring people. Appreciate it. Cool. So if people want to hook up with Darren, find out more, uh, you're, what's the best place? Twitter at Darren Twitter, Flickcroft. Yeah. Darren Flickcroft, Twitter, Instagram, same thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm you start, just started a new I'm Instagram for a Vita Planta or a, a Twitter for that, right? Both Twitter and Who's going to run? Who's going to be, who's, who's going to run Vita Planta so, now? So <laughs> it started on? out like Rich's daughter, Eden, uh-huh. um, she, she came up with the idea. And so we kind of started it. She was managing it first for a little mm-hmm. bit and, you know, I'm starting to pick it up. So it's more, you know, regular, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. You can turn it into like a real business, right? I'm going to try to All right, a little man. side business and then who's, see, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, cool. All right. So that's it. And then, uh, that's it. You don't have like a website or anything like that, Not right? Yet, no, yeah, you want to learn more about Wasserman then just go to the, what's the Wasserman website? You know, it's pretty, I mean, most agencies, yeah, they don't put anything up. You go to like CAA up. or UTA. It's just like a, a, like all it is is a page. It just has their phone page. number and that's exactly. it. What's the deal with that? This like bit, like super secret. Yeah. You know? I don't <laughs> you want know. anyone I mean, to know what's going on. I think, uh, I mean, like you said, it's insular. Like people yeah. are trying to keep it. You can't even like find bios of the agents or like, you know, and it's weird. Like agents are like, if you try to find out, you go online and like Google the name of like a CA agent, you don't find that much stuff. Yeah. Like their whole thing is about like staying out of that. Yeah, right. Being incognito and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of the allure. You're it, a little too high profile on social media to be an agent. Then. I know. You can get in trouble with the boss, man. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's all, for me, it's, you know, it's all in good fun. And I'm, I love being there for my clients and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, this last weekend, my, my boy Dylan Cerna scored his first goal and I was there and I was able to see him afterwards and stuff and just being able to, you know, give him some, some love Twitter wise and yeah, stuff. Nice. So that's good. Cool. All right, man. Appreciate it. Rich. We'll get you home now. Thanks, all right, man. man. You want to take us out? Nah, it's all you. All right. Peace. Blance. 
All right, everybody. That's our show. Hope you dug it. I hope that this episode helps enhance your enjoyment of the World Cup. Uh, if you're inspired by Darren to get more plant-based, well, what are you going to do about that? Well, you can go to mindbodygreen.com. You can check out my online video course, The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. Or maybe you are inspired by Darren's example of living his dream and you want to live your dream, but you're feeling stuck and you don't know how to do it. Well, you can also check out my other online video course, The Art of Living with Purpose. Also at mindbodygreen.com, you can find both of those on the homepage or click on video courses on that site. It'll take you right there. Uh, of course, go to ritual.com for all your plant power provisions, our nutritional products, our garments, t-shirts, our cookbook, our meditation program. It's all there. And we've got this new product that I'm really excited about. It's called Ion. It is an electrolyte replacement drink. And uh, it's really cool. And I'm going to take a minute and tell you a little bit about it because I think there's a lot of confusion out there about uh, replenishing your electrolytes. We all know that we need to do that when we're exercising and after our workouts. Uh, but how do we usually do that? Well, we grab one of those sugary drinks that's uh, a bright in a bright color and we down that and think, oh, I'm replenishing my electrolytes. Uh, and uh, the truth is, that uh, electrolytes really shouldn't be purple, green, or orange, nor should they be wed to all of this sugar and additives and artificial everything. Um, in addition, most electrolyte supplements really don't even properly replenish your electrolytes because they're not balanced, right? They're generally high in sodium, but they're really off the mark when it comes to the other important electrolytes like calcium, magnesium, and potassium. So ideally, we need to replace our electrolytes in the same proportion in which we sweat them out, right? It's common sense, uh, but that is what ION is all about. It is a capsule. You just swallow it with some water, and uh, it is in the same proportion and balance in which we sweat it out. So if you want to find additional information about it, I talk all about it. And we have some cool infographics and stuff like that on my site. Just go to ritual.com under products. You can find it and give that a gander. Uh, want to support the show? The best way to do that is tell a friend. Just spread the word. That is something I appreciate greatly because I know you guys are doing that out there. You want to take it to the next level? bookmark uh, the Amazon hyperlink from the Amazon banner ad at ritual.com on the homepage there. You can bookmark that and then it's right up there on your browser. Every time you go to Amazon, you click that link, takes you there, get what you're going to get. And it does not cost you a cent extra, but Amazon kicks us a little commission change and that's really helped uh, put some wind in our sails. So thank you so much for that. You can also donate to the show. There's a donate button at ritual.com and please, and thank you for sharing your enjoyment of this show on Instagram. I love that. The pictures of people working out or, or in their commute or what have you, you know, wherever you are when you're listening to the show, sharing it on Instagram is really cool uh, and I dig it. So please keep that up. Uh, make sure you tag my name at Rich Roll or hashtag RRP so I can see it and send you some love. So that's it. Uh, until next week when I'll be back with another great show. Enjoy the beginning of summer. Eat your greens, drink your greens, grow your greens, be your greens. And in the words of Darren, Vita Planta. See you next week. Peace.